0: your dreams can be your reality. You all, time isn't real. Okay, that is fucking crazy. Spirituality, manifestation, travel, money, entrepreneurship. Welcome to In My Non-Expert Opinion. I'm your host, Chelsea Wright. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the show. It's Chelsea tuning in for a solo episode today. And full transparency, I am recording outside right now. I've been loving working outside. It actually reminds me of when I travel and work outside. So I'm trying to recreate that same vibe. So if you're hearing any birds or whistles of a breeze in the background, maybe even my dog who might be joining us, he's walking by me right now, just know I am outside. And yeah, that's the vibe today. We're we're setting the scene for this episode. Now, if you don't know this, I have a really tiny tattoo on my arm. I actually have four of them, but one of my favorite ones is of an airplane. And I don't think it's a secret that I absolutely love to travel. I realized when I talk about travel, I think there's this assumption that you have to have a lot of money to travel or you're spending thousands of dollars to go abroad. At least that's what I thought. So I'll speak from my experience. I know when I was younger, I would see people going on vacations to London or to Paris or wherever. I was like, wow, they must have a lot, a lot, a lot of money in the bank. And that's just something that's not going to happen for me. Maybe until I'm like 40 and very established in my career, then I could think about traveling. It wasn't until I studied abroad in Spain in college where we studied abroad for three months in Valencia. And it was hands down one of the best experiences of my life. And I learned not only why people love traveling, but how you could do it for cheap. That study abroad program was obviously a lot different than If you're gonna go travel by yourself or with a partner. But what it showed me is how to adjust to different cultures, how to get around, how to communicate with people. And I took all those experiences and used it in my own life when I started to travel when I worked in corporate America. After that Valencia trip, which by the way, I'm actually going back there for a month in this summer because I'm doing remote year. I cannot wait. I feel like I'm going to be really nostalgic because a lot of my firsts were in Valencia, Spain. Uh, that's where I lost my virginity. That is where I met my first love. That's where I learned about travel and how, I, how much I loved it. So going back to Valencia is going to be very, very interesting this summer. But I digress. Um, what happened after that trip, though, was I became obsessed with travel and I started using all my very, very limited vacation days in corporate America to travel abroad. So I would bank all these vacation days, we always had holidays off. And we had, I don't know, maybe seven vacation days. So I would always try to travel around a holiday. So I could add the holiday to my vacation days, and then add the weekend before and the weekend after. So I could be gone for like 10 days. So that's why I started planning my trips abroad when I was working in corporate America. And I went to places like Budapest, Berlin, London, Croatia, Barcelona, and all over the U.S. even, New York, L.A., San Diego, Charleston. And I absolutely love travel. To this day, it is something that is one of my highest values and top priorities and what I invest my money in. I eventually loved traveling so much I moved abroad because I wanted to immerse myself in different cultures and just explore the world. So in 2019, I went to Australia. I spent most of my time in Sydney. And then I spent the back half of the year in Western Australia. And then I met my ex there. He was German. And I spent a year in Germany with him in a very, very tiny town called Stralsund. Would not really make that the top of your travel list, but I did live a whole year in Germany. I recently came back home. If you want to hear about that whole story, you can go listen to a few episodes that I've done, especially around travel tips. Um, But yeah, obviously, when we broke up, I wanted to come home and be around my family. So I've been home for the last few months. And I am planning a trip this summer. I announced this in my email and one of my podcasts earlier this month. But I'm going on a four month trip with a company called remote year, where you go to each country for a month, and you just fully immerse yourself in there. So it's really something I value is travel, how to travel hacking the system, knowing that you don't have to do everything for a ton of money. I think this will help you if you've been itching to travel or maybe you caught the travel bug or you're like, wow, I didn't realize traveling abroad could be cheap. It really can. So that's what I'm going to help you with today. So today what I'm specifically going to talk about is how to find cheap flights, because I think that's the piece that's the hardest and usually the most expensive, accommodation, and then exploring without breaking the bank. Speaking of travel, I did an insane amount of traveling in August. I went to Berlin, Hamburg, Barcelona, Mallorca, Ibiza, Madrid, London, Manchester, Interlaken, and Florence, all to recover from a breakup. It was a lot of cities, a lot of chaos, a lot of switching locations every few days, sorting out flights, adjusting to different cultures and languages, and knowing that eventually I would have to move all my stuff out of the flat that my ex and I shared. So imagine just all of that on top of the weight of a breakup. I started to experience crazy anxiety and sadness. Grief would just hit me like a wave out of nowhere. There were some days where I would lose my appetite. I wasn't able to sleep, or I would be walking around exploring and just feel like crying in the middle of the sidewalk. And eventually, this app came onto my radar called Open. And I was like, you know what? Let me give it a shot. So I signed up for a trial. I immediately went to the meditation section to see if they had sleep ones. And sure enough, There was one called Winding Road by Minaj. I turned it on that night, and oh my god, it quickly became my go-to resource every single night when I knew I needed help going to sleep. In the mornings, I'd wake up, and then I would browse their incredibly easy interface and search for keywords that matched the feeling I was going through, like sadness or grief, and then boom, a track would pop up. I always, always, always felt better after doing this. So I ended up using that app for the rest of my trip, and I honestly credit Open for being one of the main reasons that I was able to eventually enjoy the trip, fall asleep, and get back my appetite. I even interviewed one of the founders, Minaj, on episode 147, and a founding teacher, Ali Maz, on 146, And if you want to hear me cry on the only episode I've ever cried on, go tune into the Minaj episode because I go into detail about how that app was one of the biggest pieces of support during that really, really rough transition period. If you're going through a rough time or you're just like feeling like you need guidance or a boost or clarity of mindfulness and you want to try this app for yourself, it's the perfect time to join. They're running an April challenge so you can try a full 30 days free with the link in my show notes and get in on the challenge. So all you have to do is just pick a practice like meditation or movement or breath work, and it counts towards a day of practice, which is all tracked inside the app. Now, you know, I'm the biggest fan now of habit tracking, and this is exactly what the app does inside of it. So every time again that you do a practice, it will track it and now you're just building a new habit. I'm 100% doing this challenge. So if you wanna do it together, you can add me on the app because you can see what your friends are up to and then we could track our April challenge together. So if you wanna give this a shot, head to the link in my show notes or the link in my bio on Instagram and you can try open for 30 days free and get in on the April challenge. Okay, so let's dive into travel tips. First, I think we should start out figuring out where you want to go, because there are some places that are extraordinarily more expensive to travel to versus others. And I think it's better to pick a place if you're starting to travel abroad, that's maybe more affordable, so you can do more with your money, and then list out some of the more expensive ones. Now, again, this is all my opinion, which is non-expert, by the way. I'm not a travel agent. This is just from my life experience. And this is all relative to what my income was and is when I travel. So full transparency, when I was working in Chicago, I made around six figures a year. And I don't make six figures anymore. When I started my business, I'm only in my second year. I'm, I'm not even in my full second year yet. Um, I'm not hitting that six-figure mark yet. So if that gives you any indication to what you can afford this might be helpful to know that I don't make six figures and I still find ways to travel abroad. So I'm going to list out cheap places and then the most expensive ones, and this might help you gauge where you want to go. So the top four cheapest places I've personally been are Bali, specifically Canggu, Budapest, Hungary, Berlin, Germany, and Malaga, Spain. I really hope I'm saying that right because whenever I look at it, it looks like Malaga or Malaga. So I think it's Malaga, Malaga. And that is a very cheap place I've been. The most expensive places I've been are Copenhagen, Denmark, London in the UK, Interlock in Switzerland. And I actually have not been to Iceland, but I know it's one of the most expensive places because we had a trip booked there. We have booked our flights at Airbnb and everything. And then in the last minute we canceled. But as we were researching everything, it was very expensive. And I know people that have been there also say it's pricey. This is also something to note too. Money is relative, right? You could be like, oh, that's not cheap compared to my income, or that's actually not that expensive compared to what I make. So again, I just want to provide that context that I'm speaking from someone that definitely identifies right now as middle class. And these to me are what is cheap and expensive. By the way, I did not add airplane audio into this track. There are some airplanes flying over me outside. I don't think you can hear them, but if you can, It's just adding to the experience about traveling. Okay, so what is cheap versus what is expensive? Well, in the city in Spain I mentioned, I had a meal that had five different types of tapas for 10 euro. 10 euro probably converts to like 12 or 13 US dollars. That's a lot of food for 12 or 13 US dollars. I also had a drink, which is my favorite drink on earth, called the Tinto Verano, and they were probably 3 euros, which is literally like $5. In Berlin... I don't remember a single meal costing me more than 10 euro. And I actually asked them because Berlin's a really, really big city. I asked someone, why is it so cheap? Like, I don't get it. And apparently it's one of the cheapest capitals in Europe, which I found fascinating. So yeah, Berlin's actually pretty affordable. Bali is unbelievably cheap. You have to think about this. It's not a first world country. So you can get an hour long massage for six US dollars. My meals would net out anywhere between... I don't know, 6 to $15, scootering around on what is kind of like their Uber. It's probably like $5 a trip. And of course, this always depends what you're doing. If you're going to end up going to the highest end yoga studio in Bali, you're going to end up paying US prices, if not even more than what you're used to. Or you go to a local, maybe chiller studio and find a class for $5. So it's all about where you want to go and what you want to put your money towards. And I think it's important to remember, too, that the cost of most things does not mean the entire country is cheap or the entire country is expensive. I also remember spending a lot of money in Bali because I was getting birth chart readings, healings, energy sessions, cacao ceremonies like that stuff was way more expensive than an hour long massage or a pedicure. So, again, I want you to just keep that in mind. Traveling to a cheap country doesn't, quote unquote, all of a sudden make everything cheap. Now, to give you an idea of what I mean by more expensive, in Switzerland, I got a chicken Caesar salad and water for twenty five U.S. dollars. I got the bill and I was like, how is this twenty five dollars? It was salad and chicken. And then in Copenhagen, I think one time I went for probably like four days and I literally think I spent about fifteen hundred dollars between activities, drinks, dinners and lodging. And like I said, I have not been to Iceland, but I know because how much they have to import they have to hike up the prices. So I remember hearing friends going there telling me it's very expensive. Um, I think when someone told me it was like $80 for a bottle of vodka. In London, I had lunches and dinners that probably were around the $40 to $60 range every single time I ate out. So whether it was just a lunch by myself, getting a few things, or going out to dinner with my friends and getting a side or two, it always netted out to be around 40 to 60 It's important to remember, too, that some of these places you don't have to tip. It's just not custom because they pay their workers well, so they don't need to live off of tips. And this some of these things I'm talking about, you don't need to include tip. Whereas in America, which is where I'm reporting from right now, tipping is obviously customary. So you always have to add tips to things. I always like to throw a few extra euros or dollars in whatever country I'm in, but it's not required, which is a really weird thing to adjust to. But it does help because when you know you're going out to eat, you have a very clear sense of what you're going to be spending. I think it's really important to look at your budget and what's realistic for you and then what you want to spend each day and then try to pick where you want to go. For example, if you're more into nature and you see yourself just like chilling on the beach, reading a book, taking an easy breezy hike, cooking at your own accommodation, then you obviously aren't going to spend as much money as if you're going to do a daily tour, trying the hottest new restaurants in town each day, and then shopping every morning. Personally, I like to allow myself about $100 US when traveling, not including the lodging. So that's for food, drinks, tours, shopping, etc., I don't always spend $100 a day. Sometimes I go over, sometimes it's under, but it's what I like to at least a lot for myself and that helps me stay on track. I also think this depends heavily on what you value. So if you value experiences, maybe you are going to spend more money on doing a skydiving adventure or a hiking tour. Maybe if you love food and you're a big foodie, you are going to go to the hottest restaurants every day because that's what you value. So I think it's actually a pretty cool exercise to write down what do I value and then see how you can align your budget with those values. I do love food and experiences, and that's where a lot of my money ends up going. I don't really love shopping, so I never have the urge to go shopping in different countries because it's all about my values. So once you figure out where you want to go, it's time to figure out how you're going to get there, aka transportation. Transportation. So I'm currently in the U.S., and obviously transport would be a much different cost flying from here than it would be jumping from a city in Europe to another city in Europe. Whenever you're in Europe, it's 20 times easier to get around, like just like any country. When you're in Bali, it's easier to get from Canggu to Ubud than if you're flying all the way from Sydney. I think I said that wrong. I think it's Ubud, by the way. So just think about this. Some of these tips may not apply to you based on where you live. For starters, though, with flights, I've talked about this in my other travel tips episode, but Scott's Cheap Flights is really, really good at scanning cheap flights to send you because that's their job. They literally have a team of people scanning flights every day to find good deals and also finding mistake fares because if a flight makes a mistake and advertises a price and it's public and you can actually buy it, they have to honor it. They can't backtrack on it. And that's what this company specializes in. So you can actually try it for two weeks free this isn't even a sponsorship you actually can just try it for two weeks free which is what i did and figure out if you want to keep going with the service or not but i used them when i was flying to australia for my year abroad and i ended up getting my ticket to sydney from lax for around six hundred dollars and usually flights to sydney are twelve hundred So basically got it cut in half because of this amazing service. I'm pretty sure it's like $49 a year. So if you're someone like me who loves to travel a lot and especially abroad, this could be a really good option for you in finding cheap flights because again, it's their job to just send you deals. Now let's say you're like, Chelsea, I'm just going on one trip this year or maybe two. I don't really need a whole service to constantly be sending me these updates. I have a few other options for you. Skyscanner. Really, really good website because what it does is it scans different flight options and then combines them together. And then you can sort it by fastest, cheapest, or what's the other one? Best, which I think in their mind is just kind of a combination of both. And what they do is present you open jaw options, which is basically a travel term where you fly to one specific place, but then you depart from another. So for example, maybe I fly to Berlin and go to Germany, but then I flew fly out of Hamburg and come home. So that's what open jaw means. And that's what Skyscanner does is it finds all these different options. It even found one for me when I was looking for my flight for Cape Town. That was really long. It was like 36 hours, but it was hundreds of dollars cheaper than the other ones because it had me getting off at different airports and then checking in with a new airline and then flying that new airline to the next airport. So that's what Skyscanner does. It's not finding the most direct routes. It's finding basically all these different ones that you can, can combine. But you definitely need to look at where you're going and how long the layovers are and how much time you have to switch airplanes. Because if you think about it, it's not just grabbing your carry on and running off. If you're going on a whole different airline, you have to get out and then go all the way back in and start from scratch. Meaning you have to check in at security check your bag if you need to go through the whole process again. So if you're going to do Skyscanner, at least the option where you're switching airlines, you need to definitely allot at least two to three hours between flights so that you're not sprinting around trying to figure things out. Because some airports are massive. That's a mistake I've made a lot is thinking an airport is not that big or big enough to get across in 15 to 20 minutes. No, there's some airports that have actual trams to take you from location to location because they're massive. I almost missed my flight to Bali once because the actual gate that I was in was like 40 minutes away from where I was standing. So that's really important if you're booking flights that are connecting, making sure again, the time between them, you have enough time to get there. Another one that's really popular that you might already use is Google Flights, as well as Google Matrix. So if you just Google Google Matrix, you'll see what I'm talking about. It's basically powered by a different software, and it will show you more flight options as well. Um, Google Flights always shows, I think, from like the cheapest to the most expensive, and then you can filter it out. So you can look at things that are direct flights, one stop, two stops, you can filter from highest to lowest, lowest to highest. This is pretty much any website you can do this. Um, But Google Flights is probably one of the most popular ones if you're not using Skyscanner or Scotch Cheap Flights. By the way, Scotch Cheap Flights is not a website where you go to actually book the flight. It's just there to alert you of flight deals. And then it will send you the link or like the website to book it on. For example, let's say it's like cheap flight to Peru. It's not Actually, booking through Scott Cheap Flights, it's saying, "Hey Chelsea, United Airlines is running a super cheap flight right now. We suggest you hop on this deal." And then I have to go on United and book it. But it helps because I don't want to spend my whole day looking at flights. And again, I'm a pretty frequent traveler, so I like that site for that reason. But again, just going one place, one quick stop, maybe Google Flights is your go-to. Also, going directly to the airline sites like Delta or United or American Airlines going directly on the sites and just searching where you want to go and comparing prices is really helpful to find flights. Obviously, here's a tip to find cheap flights. If you're not tied to a specific date, type in flexible date or check the box that says like flex booking. And then it will open up the whole month for you and show you the cheapest times to fly. So maybe you don't need to go on, you know, May twenty first. Maybe you can go in July, and maybe waiting two months would actually save you $300. Okay, well, there you go. You just found that from checking the flex book option. So that's something that I like to do if I'm not married to a specific date. Now, one thing with airlines too, depending on where you're going is going to make it cheaper depending on where the airline is based out of. So what I mean by that is Lufthansa is a German airline. So obviously if I'm flying to Germany from Orlando, I would probably wanna book a Lufthansa flight and it's usually a better deal than taking another airline like let's say United, but you have to check. This is not a 100% guarantee or a fact. It's just more likely because, again, the airline is based in that country. And that's why it's important to look up um, different airlines so that you can get the different costs and see what works within your budget. Now, personally, this is all relative again, but I'd say a good deal for a flight from the U.S. to a location abroad is between $400 to $800. 400 is very cheap, in my opinion, um, you could find a flight. I have seen flights from like Orlando to Madrid or Orlando to Copenhagen that can net around like 400 to 500. I would say most common is like 500 to 800, maybe even a little bit more than that. And I know this is where people start thinking, oh, we well, see like that's a lot of money. I can't travel. That's I don't have just $800 laying around. So here are some tips to help you. This is where planning ahead becomes helpful. If you're going on a trip abroad, I would give yourself like months to plan. This remote year trip I'm going on is not until July. And I booked it with them in February. And I have a payment plan that kicks in in May. So all I had to do was put a deposit down in February, then I have to pay the next part of the deposit in May. And then I start making monthly payments. So I'm not paying this huge chunk up front. And I gave myself enough time to save that money. Let's say I wasn't going on remote year. And I just wanted to go to making it up, Well, I'm not going to book a flight to Columbia in the next two weeks. I want to actually take my time and find the best flight deals, the best accommodation and give myself enough time to save money so that when I go, I can actually enjoy myself. Because again, I value food and experiences. So if I go to Columbia, I want to do all the food tours and all the experiences and I'm going to give myself that time. So I'm probably going to go when it's more time for me to save. It also depends what time you're going, if it's low season or high season. For example, right now in a lot of Southern European countries, it's low season. There's not a lot of people traveling to Europe in March or February or January. Usually it picks up in summer when everyone has school off. Everyone is banking their vacation days and putting them all towards European vacations. So that's very important to note: as prices start hiking up because there's more demand, right? It's supply and demand. So the more people that go... They can say, okay, well, we're going to raise our hotel prices and flight prices and everything is just going to be more expensive. So if you're trying to go for cheap, maybe go in the low season and avoid all the tourist crowds and get everything for a bit cheaper. Now, also, there are companies that can help now with offering payment plans. You know how there's afterpay for buying retail items. There's a new company I just saw called Uplift. I didn't actually end up using it, but I saw that they partner with a bunch of different airlines to offer payment plans. So instead of paying, let's say, $800 for a flight up front, you could do 11 monthly payments and split it up to be like $75 every month. And that way, that's obviously much more affordable and manageable than having to pay $800 up front. Now, what I personally do I do a few things. I either one, put it on a travel credit card. I use the Capital One Venture card because it has no fees abroad, no transaction fees. And I get points on it so that later when I travel, I can use it on things like a hotel or future flights or car rentals. But I also let's say I'm like, I don't want to put it on a credit card right now. I also will straight up just save money and say, okay, I have until July for this trip. Or let's say I want to go in July and I'm starting to see that flights are like $700. I'm going to put my next $300 towards that trip. And then the next time I get $400, there we go. That's $700. Now I can pay for that in cash. Or I'll put it on a no interest credit card or credit account like PayPal. Um, PayPal has six months, I believe, of interest free Purchases that are over $100. So if the airline accepts PayPal, then that's what I'll do. And then I'll split up however many, however much the flight was over six months so that I avoid any interest. Full disclaimer not a financial advisor, not even close to being a financial expert or a travel agent. So this is very, very Nuanced anecdotal advice. You know what I mean? Like, this is, I hope that you don't go out and take out a travel credit card if you've never learned to manage a credit card in your life. I would actually avoid putting things on credit cards if you have trouble paying things off, usually. So, this is for people that are very good with using their credit card and know how to manage their debt. Okay. Just want to throw that disclaimer out there. Other things to note when you're flying is everything adds up when you add on. So, checking in early extra leg room, extra baggage, you know, adding a seat, some of that starts adding up very quickly. So maybe a flight that was $500 all of a sudden ends up becoming 650 because you wanted to add extra room and you wanted to get the window seat and you wanted to add a meal. So all that stuff can add up. I will say meals are usually included in flights abroad. Anything that's over like five hours usually has a meal, but again, it could add up to be hundreds of dollars. That's why I personally, I don't upgrade a lot because I usually sleep on flights. I've talked about this a lot, but I can sleep anywhere except my own bed. So i I don't book extra legroom or seats. I usually know that I'm going to be passed out the whole entire time. So for me, it's not a problem. But if you're like, oh hell no, like I need the extra legroom, I need that window seat, I will not be bothered then yeah, you're going to have to shell out a few extra dollars to end up paying for that stuff. One more tip I have for saving money too is actually getting a physical envelope and then writing the destination on there and starting to put any extra cash that you have into that envelope because it adds up. I just did this for a trip I have coming up to Cabo. The whole trip is a bachelorette party and it's adding up because we're paying for flights, we're paying for accommodation at an all inclusive resort, we're going to be spending a lot of money there because we're going out pretty much every day. And so I knew this trip wasn't going to be, you know, just a few hundred dollars. So I had an envelope next to my bed with Cabo written out in Sharpie. And I put any birthday money in there, any Christmas money, any extra money that I had after all my expenses were paid, and I had a little bit for myself, I ended up putting it in this cash envelope. So when I go to Cabo, I can spend guilt free and not even worry. I'm doing the exact same thing for my remote year trip, but just digitally. So I have an actual savings account titled remote year, and I put a percentage of every sale that I make towards this account. And it all adds up, whether it's $10, $45 or $450, it's quickly adding up. And I'm, I've already looked at my account. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is really cool. Like I can already pay the next installment in cash. No problem, because I've slowly put away a percentage of each um, sale towards that account. This is really helpful if you work in corporate and you get bi-weekly paychecks or um, monthly or even weekly paychecks, putting a percent towards a travel account. So by the time the trip comes, you have money and you're not scrambling to figure everything out. Now, other ways you can figure out transportation by train or by boat. Obviously, you're not going to take a train overseas, but there's really awesome cruises that you could do. I actually did this in my study abroad trip. We had our first six weeks, and then we had a week off, and then we had our second six weeks. And that week off, I took this cruise around Italy. And it was really cool because A, everything was already included in the cruise, lodging, water, drinks, food, entertainment. And then you got to hop off and see certain towns in Italy and do it all within, I think we were there for like seven days. So that was actually a really fun way to travel that I hadn't considered before I had done that. That was way cheaper than trying to book a trip and figure out everything out myself. When you're abroad, I know I'm talking a lot about Europe right now because that's where I've traveled the most abroad. So this might not be applicable to every single place I'm talking about. Um, I should probably title this like how to travel to Europe for cheap. But trains are also an incredible way to get around. In Europe, especially, you could find a train from city to city for literally like 20 euros. I remember I would go to Hamburg all the time and it cost me like 25 euros all the way from our tiny town in Germany. And that's to me, 20 euros is what I would spend on lunch. So I'm like 20 euros to go to a city and explore is very affordable. Now, some places are more difficult to get around and you'll need to hire a private driver or rent scooters or a car. For example, Bali is like this. In Bali, I always had a driver or a scooter pick me up. And I know even saying that kind of sounds bougie, like, oh, I had a driver. Um, you you basically need one. The streets of Bali are so crazy. People are insane drivers cutting you off, zigzagging around. I know plenty of people who have gotten into scooter accidents there, and I try to avoid that. And so you get a driver and you just pay them a certain amount per trip or you just say like, hey, I need you for a week and here's the cost I have up front. Remember, Bali is cheaper than a lot of these places I'm talking about. So I know hearing the words hiring a driver might sound like, oh my gosh, am I in New York City going to be spending hundreds of dollars? No. And you can always negotiate. When you're in the city, okay, so now you're in your destination, try to rent bikes as much as possible or walk or use public transport. Do not blow your money on Ubers unless you literally don't care and you're like, doesn't matter. I have disposable income for days. I'm taking Ubers. But Another reason I highly suggest taking or highly don't suggest taking Ubers is because many countries, there's often taxi strikes because they're competing with Uber. And a lot of the taxi drivers are Uber drivers. So Uber will shut down, too. This has happened to me so many times in Europe. Honestly, it happened to me when I was in Hamburg, not even Spain. And this happens a lot in Spain. But um, yeah, the taxi service will shut down. Ubers will shut down. And you're just like, how do I get around? the public transportation, a bike or walking. So whenever I'm abroad, I always, always, always take buses, trains or bikes. And if I know I'm going to be somewhere for a while, I definitely get a pass like a weekly pass for the bus or the train because it's cheaper than buying a bunch of single tickets. You can also rent bikes the same way you rent scooters in America, you know, like those bird scooters. Um, same thing. You get an app, you rent a bike, it's locked up, you unlock it, drive it around, and then park it in one of the parking stations. That's a really popular option. And then hostels also have bike rentals. Some are even free. So this is something I'll get to in a second. But check out the options when you're booking places. Like, is this a bikeable city? Is this a walkable city? Is this a place where there is public transportation that's pretty accessible to me? Because that is going to save you so much money. I cannot express a lot of my money gets saved from walking everywhere or taking public transport. Hot tip before we switch to lodging is get a SIM card when you're abroad so you can use it and plug it in to get around and use Google Maps or Apple Maps or whatever you use and find your address so that you don't leave your hostel and you're like, oh, shit, I don't have Wi-Fi. And then you're like walking around trying to figure out how to get home. So definitely get a SIM card, Um, The other thing you could do is pull up your maps before you leave your Wi-Fi area, then put it on airplane and then go. The maps will actually stay up. So I do this a lot if I'm like, I don't know if I don't get a SIM card or if I need to get around and I'm walking around all day, I'll just pull up again the address in my phone and then put on airplane and then go and I'll just follow the blue dot. (laughs) I literally feel like I should start a podcast called Follow the Blue Dot because that's what I did all of Australia was like follow the blue dot. Okay, lodging. I think Airbnb is a great option. And depending on how much money you want to spend, you can make it work for you. So you could find just a room in a house. And that's pretty cheap. You can always find options that are full flats or studios for cheap too. But Airbnb, in my experience has always been more expensive than hostels. And I like to travel affordably, again, because I value food and experiences. I'm a light sleeper and it doesn't even matter if I'm in like the world's most luxurious hotel. I probably am not going to sleep that well anyway. So for me, hostels, um, I'll actually talk about hostels in a second because I know there's a lot of misconceptions. But for me, I don't mind sleeping in a bunk bed in a hostel because I'm like, it doesn't matter. I'm going to wake up and I'm just using the hostel as a place to put myself down and shower. Now, if you're not like that, then maybe a hostel is not for you and you need a hotel. So we'll walk through all those options let's start with hostels. I love Hostel World. It's what I use the most often because it ranks things based on reviews, on cleanliness, on staff, on location to the heart of the city. So I look at all those different things and I always go for ones with ratings that are about 9.0 and above. And I definitely look at the cleanliness factor and I read the reviews. I always sock the photos too, because it doesn't matter how amazing someone thinks something is, it's all subjective, right? So someone says, this is the best hostel ever. And then I look and it's like a total dump. It's like, I can't look at that review and, and bank on that being the truth. So I like to look at photos, not just from the website, because obviously they're gonna choose marketing photos, but going to Google and actually hitting the photos that real backpackers or real travelers have taken of the accommodation. So this is where you really wanna be discerning. If something looks off, probably is, and read about safety. Can you rent lockers there? Do they have locks for purchase where you can lock things up in your own locker? Does the front door have a lock or a passcode? These are all things that Hostel World will tell you. And one thing I will say, if you're in my age group, I'm now 31, do not book a youth hostel. So a lot of things will say like YA or like, I don't know, I'm making this up like golden goose youth hostel youth hostels are literally for kids that are like 16 plus traveling around. I made this mistake once in Barcelona. And I don't know why it slipped my mind. I think I just thought youth hostel like people in their 20s in our youth, like, you know, fun. (laughs) I don't know what I was thinking. And we got there and it was literally like a 16 year old team of all these players from some specific school. It was almost as if they were on a field trip. So obviously sharing room with 16 year olds who are loud, don't care, running around like it just was not fun at all. We actually broke our whole agreement there and ended up getting a hotel. So make sure you're not booking youth hostels because you're probably not going to love it. Now, something I will say about hostels, too, is looking at how close you are to transportation and the heart of the city, because just because something's cheap and looks nice isn't always the best option if you're then going to have to take like an hour long bus ride to get to everywhere you want to go, especially at night. Right. You don't want to be 9 p.m. and it's pitch black and you're like, oh, my God, I have to take a bus all the way back to my hostel. No, 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 no. So Google it, see how close it is to town, see what the reviews say. Usually people are pretty honest with reviews saying, yeah, it only took me like 10 minutes to walk to the city center. That's what you want to look for is like city center, city square, city plaza, because that's usually where all the things are that are obviously in the heart of the city. Again, I always look for ratings that are 9.0 or above. I don't even entertain anything under that. And I always check the vibes section on Google Photos as well. So not just photos, but they now have a section called vibes. I always go there and I stalk the shit out of it. I'm like, is there a rooftop? What does the room look like? What does the lobby look like? I am very much about the vibe. Even if it's a cheap hostel and I'm sleeping in bunk beds, I want it to at least feel like a cool vibe versus just sleeping anywhere. So I'm a, I'm kind of like weird in the middle when it comes to hostels. I have this like hippie backpacker in me that's like, I don't care where I sleep. But then I also have this part of me that's like, I'm 31 now and I have my own job, I need to be able to sleep well. So I don't look for like the bougiest places ever. But I also am not like sleeping with 25 people in a room either. I have made that mistake before. Um, I call it a mistake because it was not my best experience. It's I did a mixed dorm, which means mixed is when they mix boys and girls in the same dorm. And there were 16. No, no, no. There, I think there were 20 beds in. In there. So imagine all these bunk beds lined up. I mean, honestly, it kind of looks like a jail. And then people were coming in at all hours of the night. People have different hygiene levels. So some people smelled really good. Some people didn't. It was just so chaotic. I was like, I am never doing that again. I'm glad I had that experience, but we're not doing that. So Here's an interesting thing, too. You could also book a private room in a hostel, which could be cheaper than a hotel. So you still have privacy. It's still nicer. You might even have your own bathroom and shower. You're just paying much less than you would a hotel. So that's something now, again, that I'm in my 30s and I want a little more privacy. I would probably consider looking at the private room option. Now, again, this is all about personal preference. So depending on your safety concerns, your budget level, your comfort level, you want to look all these things up when you're filtering out what hostel to use. But you really can stay in places that are as cheap as like 10 bucks a night to over $100 a night. It all is up to what you're looking for. The reason I love hostels is because it's so, so, so easy to meet people. There are so many activities to do that the hostels run, like walking tours, karaoke, limbo. Like I always find something to do at hostels. There's always deals. So they'll have like Taco Tuesday or like $5 pizza and it's just really cheap to eat there. And then it's so easy easy to find staff who are trained to know everything about the city and get recommendations. So some of the coolest places I've been to are because someone at the hostel staff told me to go there. That happened in Berlin. I was in Berlin. That was like the first stop after my breakup. And I was like, I just need a really cool vibey spot to go work. That's like fun and exciting. And he gave me this that was like a patio but it wasn't a restaurant people were just drinking champagne and it was also this garden and then there was this vibey music but you could get cheesecake i don't even know how to explain it it was like one of the coolest places i remember going in berlin and that is again because someone at the hostel told me to go there it's also surprisingly not as young as you would think i know americans if you're listening you think hostels are dirty you think it's college kids it's like a frat house party There are hostels like that and you'll know because of the reviews. I've been to party hostels. I have literally stayed in a hostel that was on top of a club. Like literally you went into a club and then you went upstairs and there was a hostel. That's a party hostel. I've stayed in those where you're just partying all day, all night drinking. And that's when I was like 24. Now when I'm 31, I don't book party hostels. And in Berlin, I swear my roommate was in her 50s. And she was so quiet. She was just there reading. She would just walk around all day and go to museums, come back in the room. We were roommates. We barely spoke like we just kind of kept to ourselves. And it's really interesting because you would never expect that to be your experience, especially if you're an American. So I find that quite interesting that we make a lot of assumptions about hostels. And I think you need to give it a chance before you make a judgment call, because some of the coolest places I've stayed abroad are hostels. Now, there's lots of cool new things coming out because obviously the pandemic limited us from traveling. So at some point when people got back to traveling, I think a lot of innovators realized this is our time to create something different and cool for when people want to travel again. I just found this website called Outsite, and it's kind of like an Airbnb for remote workers. And if you're trying to get out of the hostile life, but you want to meet people like you, you might want to use Outsite i have not booked it at all i haven't used it but i was like i could see myself using this after a remote year trying to meet people in a different way but maybe it's not in a hostile environment um also Madeira, portugal i don't know if i'm saying that right probably not they basically just built a whole digital nomad community so they literally built like a neighborhood for digital nomads and that is for them to attract obviously digital nomads to that specific area And that's a really cool way to travel that you would never think about, right? Like who knew a whole country had a space for a digital nomad to go work that's built for them with co-working spaces, cafes, accommodation. I think that's incredible. And I think you're only going to see stuff like that grow. I've actually been reading about digital nomad visas in Europe. Um, I know Portugal has one of the best ones, and they're saying a lot of countries are now seeing the value of that and they're putting a lot more effort into building out digital nomad program so keep your eyes peeled i know there's definitely gonna be digital nomad visas coming out soon now couch surfing is probably the cheapest thing you could do there are literally sites called like couchsurf.com there's a ton of websites you can do this i personally know people who have done it and loved it and they had like the craziest times or like that was so much fun we met the coolest person like this person's like our family now we became best friends with the daughter. I know people that have done it. I almost did it in Australia and I think fortunately I found uh, a a room that was in my budget right in time. I don't know, there's something about couch surfing to me that I don't feel safe with and that's probably because I'm I tend to be a people pleaser sometimes and I don't want to I don't know, I can picture myself like not loving it and being like I don't know, just getting myself into situations like getting stuck at a dinner I don't want to go to or like hanging out with someone too long, or maybe something is a little bit dangerous. And I'm like, I don't want to put myself in that situation. So I have not done couch surfing. But you know what I I have, because I haven't done it, I don't have the place to to talk on it about like my experience, right? So if you've done couch surfing, and you're like, Chelsea, it was the best thing that happened to me. And I saved so much money, DM me so I can post it and let people know how amazing couch surfing was for you. And obviously, there's hotels. So if you're like, I don't want to stay in a hostel. I want my own room. I want my own shower. I want everything to just be private. Get a hotel. You can go on hotwire.com. That's a really p- great place to find cheap hotels or booking.com. Um, You know, I'm, I imagine if you're listening to this podcast, at some point you booked a hotel in your life. So I trust that you know how to find hotel rooms, but I will say Hotwire is one where you don't know the name of the hotel before you book, but it just shows you really cheap deals. And this is the same way that kind of like flights on standby work where if they have an extra seat, you, you can fly on it. This is how... Hotwire kind of works. It's like at the last minute, if there's any vacancy or a room that they didn't fill out or someone canceled last minute, they'll have a room available and you can filter it out. So it's not like you're choosing between some bougie place and some like rundown hostel. You can say I'm looking for AC and my own shower in my own room and I wanted to have continental breakfast. Like you can filter all that out and then it will serve you three different ones. It won't tell you. It's kind of fun because it's like a game. And it's like, you're going to end up getting one of these three, but it won't tell you until after you book. So just a hot tip when booking hotels. Entertainment. We're switching to entertainment now. Walking, walking, walking. You will always find something to do just from walking around, especially in a city. Go to a park, go to a beach, go on a hike, You're going to run into people, a festival, a street festival, a farmer's market. Some of my best experiences have been simply from just walking around and allowing myself to not be tied to any plans for the day. And I've always found something to do. I remember my friend and I once were in, where were we? Berlin. This has happened twice now, actually, in Berlin. And we were just walking. It happened to be like one of the biggest street festivals of the summer. And it was so much fun. There was like a parade and drink stands and food stands. And this happened again in Berlin. It was the Gay Pride Parade, which I had no idea. I was just walking around and I saw all these people wearing rainbow costumes. And I was like, hmm, that reminds me of the Chicago Gay Pride Parade. What do you know? Ended up literally walking in a gay pride parade. That picture is on my Instagram. And I found that simply from walking around Airbnb experiences. Talked about this before, but that's how I did the baby goats experience in Texas. I found a yoga class for $10 right on the beach in Barcelona. There are really cool things on Airbnb experiences, including cooking classes, painting Um, What I like about Airbnb experiences, it asks locals to become the hosts, So you can take a local dance class with someone that like actually grew up in Spain or learn how to cook Argentinian steak with someone that owns an Argentinian steakhouse, which I think is really amazing. So Airbnb experiences is awesome. The tours that hostels offer incredible. They're usually like free walking tours, maybe five or ten dollars. Usually they're free. They'll do bike tours. Maybe they'll have something for a little bit more money, like a kayak tour or a canoe tour. But they always have activities going on because you have to remember hostels, again, are built to uh, for travelers. So they're there to help you travel and entertain yourself. This website called getmyguide.com guide. I know that's said get my guy, get my guide is kind of like Airbnb experiences. And I found some things that were way cheaper than Airbnb experiences that were on Airbnb experiences. So I actually found a cooking class that was cheaper on Get My Guide and the same one was on Airbnb experiences. So I started using Get My Guide and I found this boat tour. I did that in Mallorca. It was like a whole five hour day on a boat with lunch included, snorkeling. I was like, what the heck? And it was 55 euros. I'm like, that is very cheap for a five hour boat tour. Then I did a cooking class where we got to go to the biggest market in Barcelona. We got to pick out the ingredients and then we all took turns chopping and cooking and making paella. We even learned how to make sangria. I found that on Get My Guide. So yeah, I absolutely love, love, love that website. Facebook events. Look, I don't love Facebook, but when I travel, I tried to just pull it back up because it always has events going on and it's always free or low cost. So that's a really easy way to get entertained, as well as asking the locals. This is seriously like one of the best ways to do it. Just asking a local, hey, like, what's the best place to get coffee? Or, you know, I really want to go see a local play or I don't even know what else I, you can see. I love to just eat and walk around. But there's so many cool things that locals will tell you about that you would have no idea from a website. And that is one of the best ways, again, to find really cool, unique gems that you wouldn't find anywhere else. Okay. Anytime I say the word gems, I do think of Julia Fox. So I just had a moment to like pause there for a second and be like, did I say gems like Julia Fox? Hopefully not. (laughs) And then last but not least, one of the most obvious, but most underused is literally Googling what is free around me today, or what events are free around me today, because Google will use your location and keywords to pick up those events. I actually found an English speaking comedy club in Barcelona that had tickets for I want to say I'm not kidding $5 or $10. And it was one of my most fun nights in Barcelona. I met all these Americans, we had an incredible night. I'm actually trying to have someone that I met that night come on the podcast, because he was an American as well. Actually, everyone there was even the bartender was like from my hometown, I ended up being on such a whim. I was just so bored because I had been there by myself and my sister had left me. And I've been in Barcelona several times now. So I was just like, I want to do something different. And that's how I found it, by just Googling what's free around me today and found this super cheap comedy club that was amazingly fun. Okay, and last but not least, how to travel abroad affordably is eating. Because I just said, I love to eat. When I go abroad, I love to try the food. I love to immerse myself in what anybody's cooking. I just follow the smells and I'm like, that smells amazing, let's go in there. So I like to spend my money on going out to eat, but not every single meal. So here are my tips around cooking. If you're trying to save money, do groceries wherever the local grocer is and then just cook at your location. This is a really popular option in hostels. And honestly, most people in hostels cook. I did this in Spain and I often had my own breakfast because breakfast is not my favorite meal. I usually eat like fruit or oatmeal or croissant. Breakfast is not that exciting to me. So for me, I'm like, yeah, I'll cook this at home because I just need to chop up a banana and some grapes, throw up some chia seeds, and make some tea. Like, I don't need to go out for that. Now, there's also cheap cafes nearby. So maybe you get a cafe that has a super cheap croissant and coffee for like $10. A lot of cafes also have things like sandwiches or bocadillos or croissant sandwiches or whatever for also really cheap, like $5 to $10. So you can eat cheap abroad. Again, it's you're going to spend money when you start going to a higher-end restaurant just like anywhere else you go. Right now in my own town, I could go to a $4 sign restaurant and spend $75 on dinner Or I could go to the local burrito stand around the corner and get a $5 burrito. It's the same thing with cities. But I will say, I don't think people use the option of cooking as much. And if you think about it, if you're gone for like 10 days, and you're cooking breakfast at home, like just some eggs and bacon and coffee, and you save a whole meal on eating out, that could be hundreds of dollars that could go towards something else. So I like to pick one meal a day when I travel. That's going to be like the big meal. It's usually lunch or dinner because I think those are way more exciting. And then the rest of the meals, I'll either be cooking at home or just something like quick and cheap. Um, And let yourself be surprised by things. You know, Google things again and check the dollar signs just because a place looks more expensive or you're checking out the menu and you're like, hmm, these are like higher quality ingredients or items. It's probably probably expensive. Google it. I have been shocked at how cheap some of the places I've been are, again, including Berlin. I, I feel like I've been talking Berlin in this episode, which is funny because the first time I went to Berlin, I absolutely hated it. I was like, I will never come back. I don't like Germans. This place sucks. Everyone's cold. The weather's su-. like I hated Berlin. And then the second time I went around, I loved it. And I like almost moved there. So just fun backstory. But yeah, I went and got um. what did I get? I got ramen. And it was like the biggest bowl of ramen I've ever had. And then some gyozas. And it was, I'm not kidding, like 10 euros. So just again, and this is a restaurant that was like in the heart of the city. It had twinkle lights all around, a patio. Like it just looked more upscale. And then when I actually looked it up online, it was so much cheaper than I imagined. So don't let the optics of things fool you. Google it. Okay, so there you have it. That's what I could think of. And I really hope this helped. I want you to know that you can make travel work for you and your budget. And to recap, you can book your flight ahead and save a lot of money by doing that. The further you can get ahead, the better it will be. There's now companies that can also offer payment plans for you. And again, you could use a travel credit card or no interest credit card or simply save your money, right? That's probably the best option, but there are other options you can work with. I love hostels personally, and I think Hostel World is one of the best websites in helping find those. I also love to use public transportation or bike or walk as much as possible because it will save you so much money. And then eating depends on your own needs. But if you cook most of the trip, you'll obviously save a ton of money and you can always find super affordable cafes and restaurants that fit your budget. I will, of course, be linking everything in the show notes. And then you can always feel free to DM me or email me if you have questions, because I love seeing people travel, especially female solo travelers. I know a lot of people want to travel, but they feel scared about the budget or the safety or that they're not going to know what to do or how to meet people. And I honestly feel like travel is one of the best investments and experiences you could ever make into yourself or have. So I love to help people do this. So click on some of the links in my show notes, see if they help you out. And of course, support the show sponsor open. It will help you calm down so much, especially when you travel, because travel can get a little chaotic and they even have guided journaling sessions now, which I love. They have live classes. They have classes in Venice. So if you're in California, you can go take a class. They have classes on demand. There's so many different options for you. And again, they have an April challenge coming up. So if you want to join that challenge and get on board and let's practice mindfulness together, grab that link in the show notes and we can do the April challenge together. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. Stay tuned for some really fun episodes coming out. And if you want to start your own podcast to talk about things like this or inform or educate or inspire, my one-on-one coaching is open for just a few more weeks. And the link is in my show notes. Of course, DM me or email me with any questions. Thank you again for tuning in.